Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. We're at uh, Facebook, Lakes, Woods, and Irons on Facebook. We're also at Podcast MN, the new landing spot for uh, for uh, podcasts. Brought to you by Mills GM, Brainerd Baxter, employee pricing through the months of July at uh, Mills GM. I have Chris Foley with me. Chris, uh, welcome. Another week in the books, and uh, the tour is... Uh, trying to do the very best they can among the pandemic and so far so good with a with a few bumps in the road but uh, leadership seems to be handling it pretty well at the pga level yeah you know i think that was to be expected and you just you, as much as you try to create a bubble that people have live life and they go to pick up food and they travel and all that so you're you're bound to have some cases and the, the biggest thing is the guys are getting tested and they're following the right protocol and and keeping the others safe so yeah yeah exactly right they had another i think chad campbell tested positive just this week and he had just qualified too bad for chad he was a first alternate into this week's tournament and he is uh, 46 years old. You know, he's probably starting to scramble to make some tournaments. Uh, if you don't get a win out there, you're, you're always in jeopardy kind of with all the all the great young players. Right. Yeah. No, I think every week we're going to continue to see some some players and some caddies that will test positive. And he said as long as they follow the, the protocol and don't expose a lot of other people, hopefully the, the tour will continue to – play the play the rest of the season out yeah exactly right i mean it seems like it's uh it's bound to be you know about five five people out of a a hundred or a couple of a hundred probably every week so we'll just see how it goes hopefully it'll get less and less but um travelers championship uh big names and the tv ratings went up 23 percent i'll do in part a lot to those big names at the top of the leaderboard uh phil got everybody excited right away by shooting uh 64 63 the first two rounds and that gets some tv viewers excited that maybe aren't always tuned in and then you started to see rory and bryson and uh, dj and a lot of uh, big names on the board and uh, dustin johnson wins again extends his winning streak to 13 years on tour chris you know when you think about that how impressive that is Uh, his 21st win 13 seasons in a row that's some great longevity and um, yeah he continues just to to play really well year in and year out it's a top 10 player every year yeah i think it was uh uh is it is it uh, dotty who's on the tour with him right now anyway the female announcer (laughs) she was saying he doesn't seem too worked up when he hit one uh, out of bounds on like 16 or 15 coming home the last day and uh (laughs) The, the announcer, the uh, play-by-play guy, just said, "Have you ever seen him worked up?" <laughs> she said, "Well, I, no, I guess I haven't." <laughs> Only Arnie and Jack—they won 17 consecutive years, and uh, not even Tiger has won uh, 13 and 14. So he must have had a year off in there due to injury, like a Tiger has had sometimes. But wow, what a streak! And uh, at 36, I, I doubt if he's done with his streak. He, when he is right, he is really tough to beat. No, I think you know he could get to Phil Mickelson's career win mark, you know, in forties. And yeah, you know, I mean, Dustin Johnson, thirty-six years old, and he's in tremendous shape, and he's a tremendous athlete. And so it, uh, he's got many wins ahead of him, and I think a lot more majors in him. 
finish with a uh, 19 under par just ahead of uh, Streelman, who loves this course. He, I think, has won at that course in uh, Connecticut before. And, uh, you know, he Streelman, when you see him, he kind of looks like a mismatch against uh, Rory and DJ. But, man, when he gets his game going, he can really play. And uh, uh, you've talked about a game of inches many times, Chris, on the show. And when DJ hit that ball out of bounds on the par five, he just got a three-shot lead. And all the announcers are going, especially uh, Nick Faldo, why is he hitting driver? Why is he hitting driver? And then he hits a driver, and he's out of bounds by like a half an inch. Then he hits one on a par three the next hole that's 100% going in the water, hits the downslope on the fly, and somehow sticks in the bank. And he doesn't get a penalty shot on the next hole. (laughs) So he's incredibly unlucky being out by half an inch and, and then incredibly lucky by not being in the water on the next shot. So he uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't downshift when he has the lead. That's for sure. No, and then the, just kind of another example of the breaks. The breaks tend to even on themselves out. Yeah, yeah, very true. He, he did not, you know, for Dustin, the driving is definitely one of his strengths. He did not drive the ball very well this week. Uh, I think he was 80th in strokes gained off the tee, but he was in the top five in, in strokes gained tee to green. So he has irons very well. And he putted great, which has been kind of his nemesis over the past, uh, you know, really since November or so. You're kind of a stat guy, Chris, and there was a lot of fun stats in this tournament. I think they said, uh, I want to say Phil has played 600 and some rounds of golf in his PGA career. And he'd never gone back-to-back 64 or under, in, and he's 50 years old. And he did it this weekend for the first time. So that was wow, pretty extraordinary. Yeah. He'd never had rounds back-to-back that low before. And uh, speaking of driving accuracy, the guy paired with uh, Dustin, now I'll forget the name, of course, in the final group, I think he hit every fairway but one for the first three days of the tournament. Yeah, that was Brandon Todd. Brandon Todd, yeah, extraordinary, and he's yeah, a guy that is that is uh, quite a feat. And here's a guy who three or four years ago couldn't keep the driver on the golf course. Right. Ter- yeah. Terrible case of the the full swing yips. And he was, I think, a thousand tenth or something in the world, like I don't know, sixteen or eighteen months ago. And uh, has yeah. won twice this year already, and was on the verge of winning again. And you, uh, you love a lot of the young players, Chris uh, Mackenzie Hughes, who's got a little connection to the show with his, with his uh, your good friend and the Canadian yeah, uh, Derek coaching Ingram. ranks, Derek Ingram. He fired a first round sixty, and uh, had a had a career great finish. And then Will Gordon, a uh, young guy as well, had no status on either the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour. And he gets a special uh, temporary card with his finish. He finished in the top three. So two young guns there. And uh, there's so many young guns out there that are just fearless. I mean, they they don't seem like, uh, you know, no nerves at all up against the biggest names in the game. Yeah, you know, Will Gordon, he's in that same class as Colin Marikawa and um, Matthew Wolf. Yeah. And Victor Hovland. Right. And he hasn't had the status that they have, but an equally good college player had very similar credentials as those three players. And he, 
he's likely to be a player we're going to see a lot of great things from coming up, especially now that he has some status. Then the guy you'd mentioned before, the young, uh, the young professional from Mexico, he had a great tournament as well. Um, your Abraham friend, Ames. Abra- yeah, yeah, another guy that one of your colleagues coaches. So it's uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, friend Tom Roth. Yeah, exactly right. So that's kind of fun as well. So stats kind of oozing out of the tournament. It's kind of fun to look at them. TV rankings, as I said, were up twenty three percent with the uh, big names and good golf and. Um, the general public loves birdies, and there was a lot of birdies at this tournament. So, <laughs> you know, that's fun. been the thing about the the three venues so far. Uh, you know, they're all set up for scoring, and which I think is great, and it creates drama and um, just makes for better TV. Yeah. Now, you being a teacher, Chris, these guys professionals, of course, with a couple of months to practice. I mean, they can just get dialed in, can't they? I mean, it seems like uh, so many players are dialed in right now. Or if it was the middle of the season, they might not have that much time to work on their game. Yeah, I think a little a little downtime and a little time to focus on, you know, kind of where you're at during the, the season so far uh, did a lot of good for a lot of players. Sure, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to have uh, we're going to have Ron Reed uh, with us, uh, starter at the U.S. Open for many years. We'll use Ron this week on the show because it's Fourth of July week. He uh, was uh, he announced the uh, first the golfers on the first hole of the U.S. Open for twenty three years. The starter at the U.S. Open, I'm trying to say, so that'll be fun. Terry uh, Thompson from uh, Cuyuna Range Country Club will join us as well, and we'll be back with more Lakes Woods and Irons right after this. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. This segment is uh, brought to you away by Holiday Stores in Cross Lake and Mill Avenue. Stock up for the 4th of July weekend and throughout July at those uh, great stops and fuel up as well. We thought with the 4th of July we would go get uh, one of our Ron Reed segments. Ron was the starter at the U.S. Open for many, many years, and he's the author of Starting the U.S. Open, Shinnecock to Pebble Beach, and has some great stories about some of the great names in golf. Keep in mind, you can find us at 1380 KLIZ, the fan, also Podcast MN, the new landing spot for Minnesota podcasts, and our Facebook page, Lakes, Woods, and Irons. We'll pick up with that Ron Reed interview right here. Special guest with us that... uh, Happened to just be fortunate enough to get a hold of uh, Ron Reed. He's the author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Ron, appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Well, you're kind to uh, to reach out. And I'd rather be hunkered here than... Uh, well, actually, I'd rather be bunkered at nearby Pebble Beach than be hunkered here. But uh, I'm happy to be uh, be around and be with you. Chris, when we were talking yesterday, Ron and I, he was uh, taking a walk at Pebble Beach, so that's not all bad. That's not all bad. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's not very crowded. The other day I had a I had an interesting uh, experience. I ran into Jim Nance, who lives nearby, and he uh, he suggested, he, he was really excited, and he said, gee, I hope you watch um, the Rewind of the Masters over the weekend, and and I did, and it was sensational. I think that's the way, you know, the TV audiences are going to be huge once um, once golf, pro golf, gets back on TV. I think so too. Uh, the, the the book uh, starting the U.S. Open, Ron, just uh, 
I mean, we're talking about literally starting the U.S. Open, so tell our listeners who might not know uh, what that means. Well, uh, first, you know, I, I start the book telling how a, a kid from suburban Chicago, LaGrange, uh, certainly not privileged, sneaking on his local golf courses, and uh, somehow over the years, after uh, the U.S. Army here in Monterey, California, uh, somehow uh, ended up working in the amateur side of golf, first at the Northern Cal Golf Association, and then uh, for 20, excuse me, 32 years at the USGA. And along the way in 1986, uh, David Fay was ill. He was the starter. And uh, they tapped me. Frank Hannigan said, uh, as he, he gave me a microphone, and he said, welcome to showbiz. <laughs> and in 1986 at Shinnecock, I became the starter of the U.S. Open. And uh, hung in there uh, 23 of the next years, ending that assignment in 2010 here at Pebble Beach. Boy, what a, it, what a great run, yeah. Not, not a better seat in, uh, in tournament golf than on, the, on that first tee. Well, I never took it for granted. Every year I'd go and I'd look at the assignment sheet, and there it said Ron Reed starter, first tee. And, um, you know, it was such a privilege. And But beyond that, um, I got to know them, a lot of mo- the greatest players of our time, uh, off the golf course as well. So uh, I, along the way, uh, people said, you ought to write about it. So I did, and it was a lot of fun, and I had some help. Uh, Rich Gazinski, formerly at the USGA, helped uh, edit, and uh, I think we came up with a, a, a book that uh, is entertaining and insightful. Yeah, I agree, Ron. I think we'll just uh, I'll just sample a couple of the endorsements in the front of the book so our listeners have an idea that this might be a book you want to go get. Few have experienced the cauldron of every golfer's experiences on the first tee of the U.S. Open. My friend Ron Reed had a front row seat there for 23 years to witness the hardest shot in golf, the first one. He is, in fact, the man who was starting the U.S. Open. That's your friend Jim Nance, which is uh, very nice. Uh, uh, Jack and Barbara have some nice things to say in the endorsements and oh, a whole bunch of people. Uh, Roger Maltby, uh, you've been longtime friends with Roger Maltby. Oh, there's all kinds of great names there. Chris, you guys also have a kind of a Iowa connection, you and Ron, that you might not know about. Ron, you're a Drake graduate, is that correct? I went to, I went to Drake University, and uh, it was during my, uh, before my sophomore year, I I uh, was working at the Wakanda Club there in Des Moines, and they were having the U.S. Amateur, and so I got to I got to see P.J. Boatwright and Joe Dye and Frank Hannigan and the leadership of um, the USGA, and you know that's what kind of tweaked my interest into getting into the administrative side of the game of golf. So uh, that's where it all began, 1963 U.S. Amateur. Oh, that's neat. I, I was an assistant at Wakanda Club in 1990. 1990 to 1993, one of my favorite places in the world. Jack Webb? Jack had retired in about 85 or 86, but no Jack well. Uh, Mr. Neneman. You probably knew Mr. Neneman, the GM. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The club manager, long time. He had to put up with me. (laughs) No, that was great years. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting U.S. amateur. Dean Beeman won, which went on and became the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Uh, the assistants at that time were Jack Kletke and 
But the two assistants went on to become the co-professionals at uh, Augusta National. And um, a few other noteworthy things ha- happened in that uh, that U.S. Amateur. Look, can I share a, a side story uh, to the book? Yeah. Um, years ago, David Fay called me. He says, you better explain yourself. I said, what do I do now? He says, well, a, a fellow by the name of Vince Bradley somehow talked his way up Magnolia Lane using your name. <laughs> and I, I says, do you know Vince Bradley? I said, yeah, he's a golf coach, high school golf coach, nice guy. He said, well, he told him he worked for me. Well, I was flattered that someone would think that I had that sort of influence. But uh, anyway, he got all the way to the clubhouse. So I ended up writing letters of apology. And along the way, <laughs> I connected with the golf pros who guess where they came from. Wakanda Club. That's right. And and uh, so I ended up with um, maybe some friends there at Augusta National. Ron, the book has all kinds of uh, great, great chapters. We'll just kind of walk down maybe some of the things we talked about. You had uh, some funny moments. I know uh, we talked a little bit about yesterday about uh, uh, Jumbo Osaki. You had to talk him into playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jumbo... Uh, he was first off and at 6.30 in the morning uh, there at Pine, Pinehurst in 99, and I introduced him from Narita, Japan, and in, uh, in his English, he said, I know play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and um, I turned to Tony Zerpoli, the, uh, the referee, and I said, what do I do now? He says, reintroduce him. And at the point, it was an early start. Normally, we started at 7 o'clock, but at 6.30, Jumbo thought it was too dark to play. Well, finally, uh, Brandel Shambly, who was playing with him, told me later that somehow I cajoled him to hit it. And uh, I remember he hit it off into darkness and about 300 cameras flash, flashes went off from all of the uh, uh, photographers in Japan that were following their, their legend. So, uh, yeah, somehow I convinced him to play. <laughs> Then uh, let's see, Jim Thorpe. We had a had a you and Jim oh, Thorpe, Thorpe had a moment. Jim was a bomber, wasn't he? Jim was a bomber. I remember practice round in '84 at Wingfoot when he got on the eighth hole. It's you know today drivable by a lot of the players. It wasn't then, but he he took his one iron and he he ripped the grip off. So uh, he had his hands only on the tape and iron, and he knocked it on the front of the green with a one iron. But uh, Jim was a great guy, and I, I call him a gentle giant, but um, I had an incident at Baltusrol where he got over the ball. He hadn't even hit it yet, and I got confused, and I didn't want him to be penalized in, the, in this crazy situation, and all of a sudden I interrupted him. I said, Jim, is this a provisional ball? And he looked up, and he smiled. He says, man. I ain't even hit it yet, and you guys are trying to penalize. <laughs> and he's a big guy, you know. He played football, and I I ran up to him, and he smashed his drive down the middle. I tried to give him a big hug, and we laughed later. And uh, <laughs> he, thank God he was forgiving. No, Jim was a great guy. And uh, Ian Wisdom, you had uh, had a funny uh, story about Ian as well. Well, I. I used to handle player registration, and I would ask them as they came in, you know, where do you live? And uh, he said he he was from Oswestry, England. So for three days, I introduced him from Oswestry, England. Well, on day four, you know, worldwide television, <laughs> um, I introduced him from Oswestry, and he turned around. 
he didn't have a speaking part, but he says, I'm from Wales. Well, <laughs> I, I corrected myself. I'd made a lot of mistakes over the years, and I said the word correction, Wales. Well, now I was flustered, and I continued on with other introductions, and I got to, and here's what I said, and the special observer is Joe Carr, captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews from Dublin, England. (laughs) And there was a murmur in the crowd, and I looked over, and Joe was laughing, and I realized my mistake, and I said, correction, Ireland. Well, the next to speak was um, uh, the famous uh, announcer, um, Peter Alice. And Peter... (laughs) Peter came up with this line. He says, wars have started over less. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll share the post story to that. I was, uh, you know, for two days I was in a funk over, you know, blowing the final introduction. And I was in a restaurant all alone, and I ordered a glass of wine. And the waiter, I sensed, I, I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from London, England. I said, really? Tell me where is Oswestry? And he said, I don't know, but I was watching the U.S. Open. And he pointed at me. He pointed at me and he said, you're the guy. You're the guy. And it was that one moment when I, I could laugh at myself. And um, the, uh, you know, the feelings I had went away. I, I could never make another mistake when I didn't laugh about, about uh, what I was doing. I suppose with the seriousness of some guys and the looseness of others, there's a uh, some guys a mispronunciation might bother, and other guys probably would laugh it off. I would say uh, once, um, and and I like Colin Montgomery a lot. I, I always thought he was a good guy. And after I introduced him once, he came over and he said, "It's not Colin." <laughs> I said, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll make sure I don't say that again." Um, I I bit the bullet, so to speak, and and I was careful, but. Um, I'm, I'm quite sensitive to that, uh, Ron. That's my. <laughs> I I had a uh, a junior high, uh, not a high, no a high school phys ed teacher who would always purposely call me Colin, just so a few people would chuckle during introductions. Well, I liked him a lot, and um, <laughs> a quick quick Colin story. You know, he he could and probably should have won the U.S. Open in '94 when uh, when Ernie Els did there at Oakmont. And it was the afterwards. It was I, I learned what the U.S. Open meant to a player of his caliber. He he lost it uh, privately in the when he called his wife back in Scotland. And um, I learned you know the emotional side of of what the U.S. Open meant to uh, to a great player like that. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So many heartbreaking and uh, stories about the guys who come second or play themselves out of it late in the day or whatever the case might be run uh, 1994 was arnold palmer's last u.s open and it was played at oakmont country club so kind of in his backyard of where he grew up tell, tell us about that u.s open what your memories are then well it's in the book um he um ernie well he was playing with john mahaffey and rocco mediate and they were there early because on thursday at the starting time, and Arnie wasn't, and I, I knew where he was because I could hear the buzz through the the thousands that were gathered. And uh, finally, I dispatched, uh, which I never did uh, normally, to send security to get him there. And they found him. They brought him in, and he popped through the crowd seconds before his starting time. And he all he had was a putter, caddy, no golf bag. So I introduced uh, Rocco and 
Rocco teed it one place, and then he picked it up, and he moved the tee, and I began to sense something was going on. They were stalling. And finally he hit it, and then John did the same thing. Arnie was still standing there with just a putter. All of a sudden, here comes Caddy pops through the crowd. I breathe a sigh of relief. I'm looking at two trees that were there at the time, and I'm thinking, man, if I penalize Arnold Palmer. They started, I introduced him, and the crowd went crazy, and uh, all of a sudden he got over the ball. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't know how many clubs he had. So he turned around, and he, everybody was counting clubs, and nobody was getting 14 clubs. And Finally, he felt comfortable, and he hit it down the fairway. Well, off he went several minutes late possibly could have been penalized in his last U.S. Open. Well, Friday was the final day, and he showed up early. And I took a, one of the decisions, 6-3-3, and I taped it to my table and highlighted that A, B, and C players must be all there at the same time, present and ready to play. I highlighted it. And he was in good humor. He was always in good humor. And I took him over, and I pointed that out to him. And he looked at me only as Arnold Palmer could, and he says, I was ready to play. He says, I had a putter. I'd hit it from here to there. <laughs> and um, as I wrote the book, that was the only only thing I ever wrote down on the pairing sheet and looked back later and, and used in writing the book. Your title of that chapter, uh, Arnold Palmer, The Goodness of the Man, That uh, that's a great uh, title for a chapter, Ron. Well, I, I, uh, there are a number of stories that elaborate, and I won't, I won't uh, share them all now, but he, he was an extraordinary person, and uh, I traveled from Scotland, uh, circuitously, flew home to Monterey, changed my underwear, flew back to La Trobe, <laughs> having, having spent uh, a day and a half to get there, and went to his memorial, and it was something I'll never forget. I'll bet, yeah. And another uh, great you we talked a little bit about yesterday, and the title of that chapter is great too. Is Jack Nicholas the softer side? Well, I've, I've seen it. I've cried with him twice on the first tee. The, the the last time was his last U.S. Open, and Roger Maltby, who used to cue me to start, you know, the television introduction, came to me and he said, uh, "Wouldn't it be nice if we did something special?" Because it, you know, Jack's taking. Uh, uh, the place of Payne Stewart, who was sadly no longer with us. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to do that, but the decision was made by people higher up than I. We've, we've honored Payne Stewart, so uh, thank you for your suggestion, but no thanks. And Jack came to the tee, and you know what he said to me? He says, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we honored Payne Stewart? Well, I knew that I knew that he and Roger had chatted, and I said, Jack, look, it's over. But wait a minute. When you're introduced, you're on stage. You can do anything you want. Just don't tell anybody. Don't share <laughs> that you and I made a deal. So Jack got up there, and, and uh, I introduced him from North Palm Beach. And guess what he said? He said, I just want to take a moment to remember our national champion. And I don't think there was a dry eye near the first tee at Pebble Beach, and uh, he hit it down the middle. And the next day he came up, this is his final round, he looks at me with a smile, he says, well, did I get you in trouble? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I told the press, you know, he broke the deal. Well, we both laughed, and um, 
but it was a very touching moment and the soft side of Jack Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. Jack has shed a tear or two that we've all got to see on television. And uh, uh, Jack and Arnold, just two of the two great men of golf. And another one, uh, Tom Watson. I know uh, you've had some uh, experience with Tom as well. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, great, great guy. Uh, one of the most memorable was in, the, uh, I believe, 2003 at Olympia Fields. And for 20 one years I had had the flag from 1982 when he chipped in to uh, to take uh, Jack Nicklaus's fifth U.S. Open away from him. Right. I had the flag and I threw it in a box and forgot about it. Well, I took it to Chicago with me and I was going to have him sign it and I would keep the flag. Well, this is this was Tom's last Open and and of course the world knew that Bruce Edwards was suffering from ALS and so I sought tom on sunday morning to to say to him look i'd like to give the flag to bruce is that okay and i never could find him so up the hill on sunday by the way tom is he's got a chance to win in his last u.s open and uh, <laughs> bruce came up the hill and he wasn't doing so well you could tell the disease had set in and i said to him uh here i'd like you to have this flag and he looked at me and he said what is this i said this is the flag from 21 years ago and he began to cry and so did i <laughs> and uh finally tom came up and he looked at the two of us he said what's going on here and i told him i'd given bruce the flag and i said did i do the right thing and tom said you did the right thing <laughs> so um that flag today uh, i'm happy to say it was auctioned and tom got it tom bought it and it sits in his office there in kansas city so i couldn't be happier yeah. That's an incredible story. You're listening to our interview with Ron Reed, author of Starting the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills to Pebble Beach. You can find Ron's book at ronreed.com. Ronreed.com, also available on Amazon. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and Podcast MN at Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 Buicks. Our special guest, owner, general manager at uh, Cuyuna Ranch Country Club, Terry Thompson, is back with us. Terry, welcome. Welcome, yeah. And we're officially Cuyuna Rolling Hills Golf. We used to be Cuyuna Country Club, but... uh, I knew that, too. we took over ownership, (laughs) we uh, changed the name. Yeah, Cuyuna Rolling Hills Golf, sure. (laughs) You can dress me up. You just can't take me out anywhere, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everybody still refers to it as the country club, so I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah. Terry, it's off. Uh, we've been just uh, before we went on, It's uh, you're off to a great year, and as a lot of golf courses are in uh, Cuyuna Rolling Hills, no different. No, absolutely. We are probably up about 30% on golf. Um, definitely seeing a lot of people I've never seen before, and and a lot of people, I think, that are just trying golf for the first time. Yeah, Terry, the the pandemic or COVID stuff has has definitely had a positive influence on rounds of golf in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the country. And it's it's really fun to see so many families out playing golf. I'm sure you're seeing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I know that this is one of the few activities that people can really do because a lot of things have closed, but. It it is great, and I hope they continue to golf and take up the game and be lifelong golfers. 
Terry, we talked about the layout there before at uh, Cuyuna Rolling Hills. Um, kind of uh, two quite distinct nines, which is a, is a, one of the real uh, advantages of the course, I think, one of the real unique, cool things about it. And uh, talk about that a little bit. And also you were just talking about some of the work you've been doing. I know what a busy guy you are, like most people at golf courses, and you've done some a some, uh, few physical things to the course as well. Yeah, you know, our front nine of our course is 97 years old this year, and it was really just kind of cut into the existing terrain of uh, of the land. Uh, it was started by kind of the mining company, and uh, it's a little more open. It's not quite traditional. It has seven par fours, one par three, and one par five. It is, uh, of course, is a par 72. The back nine was opened in 1988, and that one has a little tighter fairways, a little more dog legs. Uh, the terrain is kind of like we described it, rolling hills, and uh, it is a par 72 course, a par 73 for women. It's a beautiful, beautiful course, and I didn't have anything to do with the design, but whoever did, Don Herford designed the back, and I'm not exactly sure about the front, but uh, they did a wonderful job, a lot of fun golf course. A couple really smart miners 97 years ago. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, they had a vision. And uh, there's actually a hardcover book written about Cuyuna Country Club and its history. And it's interesting reading everything that transpired since 1923. Yeah. Been around a long time. A couple courses out that way in competition with the, with Rutgers. The Alec Nine been out there a long time too, which is kind of fun. You yeah, took, even uh, when you look at the history and read the book, it talks about Cuyuna squaring off against uh, Brainerd Country Club. Oh, really? Cool. It's no longer there, but uh, they used to have matches against each other. Yeah. Boy, the Crosby-Brainerd rivalry, you don't have to talk too loud before people get worked up about that old rivalry, Terry. <laughs> no. In every sport. And I remember back in high school, because I went to Brainerd, we played Crosby, and that was a rivalry, but I don't think they play anymore. No, no, they don't, no. So some of the, uh, you added a pond, which is kind of interesting. Where'd you put that? You know, I put a pond just off of two. Uh, some of the issues with the golf course over the years is it's heavy soil and, and it tends to get wet at times. So we spent a lot of time uh, designing some creeks and putting in a pond. And then we put in probably about a quarter mile of drain tile uh, just to improve drainage and uh, the water away. Sure. And it adds a little challenge. I I put a crick across hole seven, which is a 400-yard par four, and the crick is about 260 out. So people have to decide if they're going to lay up or hit over if they're big hitters. Uh, but to balance it out, I took out a couple of bunkers on four. Uh, so that's a par five that's probably reachable in two. So people have more chances of maybe getting an eagle or a, certainly a birdie. Sure, that makes it fun. People love the... Chance to go for the par fives in two if they can. 260, yeah, that's I, that's a quite a poke for a lot of people who are going to play short for sure. I, I used to know, be able to make that We had a one-person scramble here last <laughs> Sunday, and I played with two young men, and uh, they didn't think twice about hitting over it. And uh, I don't have that distance myself, but they certainly were confident, and they both hit over it. Did they? Yeah. Okay. That's a poke, especially all carry if you're carrying them. And to be honest, one of those young men... Actually, I know took a bunch of lessons from Chris Foley. Oh, really? <laughs> there you go, Chris. There you go. <laughs> we like that speed and distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a beautiful swing, and he did really well. 
So uh, the uh, food-wise, we talked a little bit, Terry. Pizza and uh, brats this year, is, uh, as kitchens all over the uh, country really are, are having to do things just slightly differently this year. I'm, I assume a guy can get a cool one there when he's playing golf. Yeah, we have our full-service bar uh, open, and uh, we have coolers. So when people want to go out on the, out on the course, uh, we sell a 16-ounce sure. six-pack for $20 with a cooler and ice. So uh, it's a good buy, and people really take advantage of that. Uh, I had remodeled the kitchen to try to make it to be open and full-time this year, but just because of COVID and struggles with dining, we decided not to open it. Sure, yeah. Got to make the wise choice. Events-wise, too, probably a lot of things. I know I was scheduled to play out there in a tournament that was delayed probably till next year. Most of those probably are that way this year, aren't they, Terry? Uh, we're still going to try to host a few tournaments, but you know we need to make sure we're following the, the rules and the guidelines and keep people safe. You know, most of the tournaments are going to be tea time to be able to allow social distance, prevent big, large gatherings. A few months left of the golf season, certainly, Terry. Any uh, any deals for the public you want to mention? Rates are, are very, very competitive. Uh, on Mondays is our senior day, and so uh, if you're over 55, you can come here and golf for $29 for 18 holes with the cart, and that includes tax. We also honor that to uh, current or past military uh, personnel, and they, they can do it for $29 uh, during the week. We're $40 for 18 holes with the cart, and that includes tax. Uh, we do offer a discounted rate after 3 o'clock. And then the weekends, we're $50 for 18 holes with the cart, and we also offer a discount after 3 o'clock. So very affordable. Uh, we do sell like a 10-round punch cart for $335, and that's 10 18-hole rounds with cart, and you can use that anytime, uh, even on the weekends. And then our, our memberships, we still have a lot of members, and uh, if you think you're going to get a lot of golf in, uh, membership's probably a really good buy. Sure. And I know we got members that are golfing 60 to 80 times a year. Yeah, absolutely. That's And the 10 punch, that's a, that's a nice deal, too. Very affordable. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about uh, uh, Cuyahoga Rolling Hills, uh, Terry? No, just in regards to that punch card, we also honored for two years. We don't expire it after this year. Okay, good. And, uh, we have other things. Uh, people can create an account with us, even if they're not a member, and uh, we can hold their credit card on file. They can come in, do purchases, put money in their bank. Um, we try to accommodate, you know, people and make it a fun experience here. You bet. Great golf course. Should be a lot of fun. Terry, thanks for taking the time today. I know it's a busy time. I drag Chris away from the driving range every day about this time and whoever else we can get, but it's <laughs> it's an awfully busy time for everybody in the golf profession. And I know Chris is awesome and is a great, great instructor, and I'm guessing he's really busy too, especially with all the other courses being really busy in the Brainerd area. Chris has a few expressions he uses about how busy he is sometimes. <laughs> 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 all right, guys, appreciate it, Terry. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for, thanks having for coming me on, on, Terry. You guys have a great day. Terry Thompson, owner, general manager of Cuyuna Rolling Hills Golf Club. Put it on your golf calendar, give them a call, and uh, set it up. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan, also at uh, Facebook, Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and Podcast MN, Lakes, Woods, and Irons there. And uh, this segment brought to you by Craigan's Legacy Courses featuring uh, Bobby's and Dutch's 18 
inside and outside dining. Terrific, terrific facility. And the home of our uh, teaching pro, Chris Foley. Chris, uh, uh, boy, uh, kind of a stunner to the golf world as far as viewers especially. Fox uh, just kind of caved on their golf coverage and uh, sold the whole thing, I assume, to NBC Sports. Yeah, very interesting development. I think if you follow golf media, it was a surprise to everybody. And uh, it really kind of disappointing because I, I thought I thought Fox did a fabulous job with the with the U.S. Open, uh, especially in the last couple seasons. They they got off to a bit of a rocky start, but the last couple seasons they the coverage has been fantastic and having things like shot tracker on every single shot almost and uh, some of the drone coverage they did, some of the stuff with microphones in the cup picking up players on the green and right uh, they did did some really innovative things i'd kind of forgotten some of that that was excellent you're right i wonder if they they've been it says losing millions in the articles i've been trying to find on them so um, some of the uh, usga events that they paid for and and promised to televise i'm sure don't get great viewership you love them because you're a golf nerd yeah uh, U.S. Women's Amateur, U.S. Amateur, um, and some of those type tournaments. They are really fun to watch once you get into it. It's a, it's a very cool cool event. But as far as Fox goes, you know, football and, uh, and uh, UFC fighting, and it's a little bit different bracket for them. But I agree, the coverage, I hope, uh, I hope NBC can keep some of the drone coverage and that kind of thing. They are going to keep yeah. Paul Azinger around, I understand. You know, Azinger has a, a contract with NBC that he's he's doing stuff for NBC as well. So that that was probably a pretty easy one. And ho- hopefully they'll bring some of the other talent over, like Brad Faxon and not Joe Buck. But uh, yeah, I don't think they'll bring Joe. I like Joe though. I thought he got better and better. I don't mind him at all. I, I agree. What Kurt, uh, Curtis? I'm thinking Shane, Shane Bacon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who did yeah. a lot of encore stuff? He he did a tremendous job i thought curtis strange was in their in their pool as well yes and uh, curtis is a great commentator all those uh, guys curtis and azinger and fax and i thought all did a nice job and they they were having gil hans do a lot of stuff on golf course architecture who's one of the hot architects today and he did a great job so i, I hope they I hope they carry over some of that yeah nbc does a nice job too but i was yeah, i was disappointed to see fox out of the mix and uh uh, but boy, USGA may, is making out like a bandit on the deal. <laughs> they uh, they're not losing any of their money, and uh, I think it said they had like two hundred and nineteen million in revenue. I think two hundred eleven million in revenue. A hundred and fourteen million of that came from media rights. So wow. Fox was just handing over money. It sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, when when they signed the deal, it was like the biggest sports TV contract, um, you know, of that time. And I, I think it's been exceeded by some of the NFL stuff recently. But um, I think I think you know I think it was a l- some disappointment on both sides, from what I'm reading. Yeah. Um, the USGA was disappointed in some of the coverage of the the second tier events yeah. and some of the other promises they'd been made. And then from Fox's standpoint, I think it really came down to what you mentioned. They, you know, with the U.S. Open being moved to September, uh, kind of in the heart of their 
football season, which is their biggest. You right. Know? Yeah. And having to juggle that with football and some other some other things, and uh, the USGA wasn't happy that they were going to move it to FS1 rather than the regular Fox Sports. So interesting times. Yeah, definitely. We talked a lot of stats in the first segment with uh, uh, driving accuracy and some of those kind of things. Uh, uh, Dustin really won without uh, the driving stat this week. Last week we had Peter Sanders on, of course, with Shot by Shot, who's just one of the great stat guys ever and one of the true originators. But, Chris, uh, simplifying things for uh, Joe Golfer out there, there's a lot of uh, stats you can keep without getting too complicated just as you're you're playing your own round of golf. Yeah, for sure. And, then, you know, if you were going to keep just a couple key stats in, in looking to analyze your game, the, the, the ones I would pay the most attention to are the number of greens you hit in regulation, the number of three putts you have, uh, the number of chip and pitch shots that you hit within five feet, and then where you miss greens. So meaning you miss, you know, short right, short left, long, pin high, and that alone most people, I think, if you looked at over four, five, six rounds, you'd find that most of the greens you're missing are short. And generally, that's just poor club selection and the belief that you hit your clubs farther than you actually do. And by taking the right club and having a more realistic expectation of your, uh, your game, you're you're immediately are going to shoot better scores, and if 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 you can hit each additional green you hit in regulation is worth about two and a half shots around. Oh boy, for each greens. But, yeah, so if you can keep track of those, you know the gr- number of greens you hit, where you miss your greens, uh, your number of three putts, and try to eliminate those, and then. Um, uh, you know, really, the, those if you keep track of those, those are some good gauges for you, and uh, you can go to work on the low hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah, the uh, three pots, like you're saying, and, and both you and Peter are big advocates of that uh, uh, putting from thirty feet when you're on the practice green. Yes, and uh, that's where you're really going to cut down because Joe. Uh, Joe Golfer is, if he's on the green, there's a pretty decent chance it's more than 30 feet away a lot of the time. Uh, not a lot of pin seekers in the, in the uh, say, the uh, 12 to 20 handicap range. So you're, if you're, you're happy in the middle of the green, and if you got a 35-footer, it might help if you'd practiced them once in a while. <laughs> no question. And, you know, in, anytime you're outside of about 12 to 15 feet, your focus should always just be on speed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because outside of those distant, outside of that twelve to fifteen foot range, the percentage of putts you make, even the best players in the world, is is pretty small. So if you can just focus on speed and get it to that, you know, comfortable next putt range, uh, your your putting is going to improve immediately. And it's part of that mindset, isn't it, Chris? The chipping and the putting uh, within five feet. If you can get yourself to think it's a ten foot circle. It doesn't seem quite so daunting, you know. Uh, you're always trying to get close to the pin, obviously, but if you can think in your head, it's five feet either side of it. Well, that's ten feet, you know. That's a takes a little pressure off the chipper. <laughs> that's correct. You, you you don't have to hit it perfect. Thank goodness. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Mac. Happy Fourth of July to everybody. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great salute to America and uh, and the Fourth of July. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.